This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Cleaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to value listeners, did you know that nearly 70% of clinician visits involve drug therapies? However, each year, there's an estimated 275,000 deaths and $528 billion that's wasted in the U.S. due to suboptimal medication use that occurs through inaccurate prescribing, medication errors, adverse drug reactions, skip doses, or treatment failures. And given that many therapeutic options for the treatment of illness involve medications, there has to be a way to maximize their benefits and mitigate harm to address issues of equity and poor outcomes that are so pervasive in our health system. So in this week's Race to Value episode, we're going to be discussing how comprehensive medication management is a missing ingredient in value-based payment. Comprehensive medication management, or CMM, is a systematic approach where doctors and pharmacists work together in practice collaboratively, ensuring that medications are individually assessed to determine that each medication is appropriate for the patient. They're effective for the medical condition. They're safe given the comorbidities and the reactions with other medications that are being taken. And this includes all medications, prescription, non-prescription, alternative, traditional vitamins, even supplements. And unlike medication therapy management or MTM, CMM is a whole person approach. This is delivered by a clinical pharmacist in a collaborative team-based model. It's been shown to now help us achieve the quintuple aim, which now includes health equity. It's been shown to have a, a 12 to 1 ROI for those ACOs and risk-bearing entities that are hiring pharmacists and embedding them in their care teams. You know, Dan, I... I'm really excited to share this important playbook strategy for these ACOs that are really looking to take this playbook to the next level and integrate pharmacists and really think about workforce transformation and where you can fully unharness the power of team-based care. Yeah, Eric, you know, this is a great conversation and so much of it just feels like common sense to me. And I'm so excited to have three amazing thought leaders who wrote a health affairs article on how CMM should be integrated within value-based care delivery. And and so we're just so privileged to feature them on this episode today. Katie Capps is the co-founder, executive director, and board member of the Washington-based 
Get the Medications Right Institute, or GTMRX. She's the founder and president of Health2 Resources, a national healthcare project management and consulting firm practicing in the Washington area for nearly 23 years. Dr. Michael Barr is a mission-driven physician executive with 35-plus years of clinical and leadership experience, and he's the founder and president of Metis, a healthcare consulting company. And finally, Sean McFarland, PharmD. Dr. McFarland is the National Program Manager at the VA Clinical Pharmacy at Veterans Health Administration in Washington, D.C. Three amazing thought leaders talking about a transformation that we need to consider in this race to value. So let's go ahead and hear from Katie, Michael, and Sean as they join us this week on the podcast. And if you like what you hear, please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star, leave us a review. And of course, we have a newsletter on our website that you definitely want to subscribe to to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes of The Race to Value. Katie, Michael, Sean, welcome to The Race to Value. It's great to have you on the show this week. Thank you so much, um, Daniel and Eric. We very much appreciate the opportunity um, to be on this important show to talk about comprehensive medication management. Well, I'm really excited to be speaking with all of you today about the crucial role that comprehensive medication management plays in a successful value-based care strategy. I've learned a great deal about CMM over the years, Katie, through our work with the Get the Medication Right Institute or GTMRX. And I understand that CMM is a patient-centered care approach to optimizing medication use and improving outcomes as delivered by a pharmacist working in collaboration with the patient and other healthcare providers. And CMM brings a level of integration that's simply not possible when a pharmacist is disconnected from care delivery by working strictly in a retail setting. And since 80% of treatment is medication-based, and 75% of patients leave a clinic with the prescription, this level of integration makes so much sense, especially if there's a financial incentive to integrate CMM based on accountability and a total cost of care value-based reimbursement model. So I wanted to ask you all, can you explain what CMM is and why it matters and how can optimized medication therapy serve as an important care delivery innovation for organizations pursuing value-based payment? Sure. And Eric, that's a great question. And thank you for starting with that question because uh, words matter and certainly definitions are important. I'm the co-founder and executive director of the Get the Medications Right Institute, and we're so delighted uh, to be speaking with you today. Comprehensive medication management is a standard of care that ensures that a patient's medication, and that would be all medications, you know, whether they're prescription non-prescription, alternative medications, traditional vitamins, or nutritional supplements, uh, making sure that they're individually assessed to determine that each one of the medications that that individual is on, each medication is appropriate for the patient, effective for the medical condition, safe given the comorbidities or other medications being taken, and able to be taken by the patient as intended. Hi, this is Michael Barr. I'm an executive physician advisor for Get the Medications Right Institute. And, and Katie, that's that's the perfect definition that we use all the time. But I think what it, what it comes down to in terms of translation into patient care is better care for people, right? Um, optimizing the medication, what that means, increasing, decreasing, eliminating, changing, making sure there are no side effects or interactions. 
it's all about getting medications right in the name of the Institute, but it's also about getting people's care right and their health correct. So it's a, it's an, a very important part of uh, better care. And it's, it's under-recognized and often thought to be done by other members of the team who may not be as well-trained as a clinical pharmacist to do this, especially for people with multiple comorbidities and medical problems. So I'm excited about this. Um, I've been really engaged with, with the Institute because I believe this is such an important part of care that is not getting the attention it deserves. And I think it's important to note, building on what Michael said, that you know, central to what's comprehensive medication management, you know, the central question is, is, is that individual rather on the right medication? You know, you ask why this matters. And I think you mentioned in your opening comments that, you know, drug therapy is involved in, uh, you know, close to 80% of the way we treat and prevent illnesses. I think what's often not recognized is that there are significant problems associated with medication use. Uh, and some of those problems are policy, uh, polypharmacy um, issues, eras, and adverse events. You know, there's roughly half a million emergency room visits and about 100,000 hospitalizations annually due to non-optimized medication use. And that costs the health system more than $5 billion a year. So we are really focused at the Institute on ensuring that we have a more rational medication use process. CMM, we believe, provides that solution. And we know that evidence shows that CMM or comprehensive medication management improves clinical outcomes. It reduces cost. It enhances patient and physician satisfaction. So with a clinical pharmacist working in collaborative practice with a physician and management of the medication therapy problems, um, we, we've seen significant improvements um, in reducing hospitalizations, total cost of care. And I, I think our colleague, Sean McFarlane, who is on the show with us today, and point to some of those examples as it relates to why it really matters in one of the largest integrated delivery systems in the country, the VA. Katie, those are great points. And my name is Sean McFarland. I'm the national program or one of the national programs with the Pharmacy Benefits Management Clinical Pharmacy Practice Office. My job is to, to uh, in a fun job, is to be able to implement comprehensive medication management across uh, the VA healthcare system. And you know, your points are so apropos, you know, one of the things that we focus on and Michael just talked about is ensuring the best care for patients. And in, in my job every day, I get to work with patients that have sacrificed so much for us so we can talk about this. And one of the things that's just a passion is comprehensive medication management has the opportunity to improve care as part of team-based care. And and I think uh, we'll be able to talk further in the, po the, the podcast about some of the great data that's out there that benefits and that shows uh, the implementation of a clinical pharmacist providing comprehensive medication management. Sean, I love where you've taken that. And, uh, and, and Michael and Katie, this is such a, uh, a wonderful introduction to this discussion today. And to build on what you've each said, if we're to really succeed in value-based payments, you know, healthcare organizations need to deliver care through team-based models. And this emphasizes collaboration and coordination, which is entirely op opposed to the autonomy and fragmentation that we've seen in fee-for-service for so long. 
And this is really what I, one of the things that I love about comprehensive medication management. It prioritizes this interprofessional collaboration in the provision of care that's better and more individualized. And this more personal collaborative approach facilitates collection and use of appropriate information related to social risks, social needs, barriers to care, et cetera. All of these can lead to higher quality, more equitable care, especially for people with chronic conditions. And we've seen significant evidence accumulated to demonstrate that medication management services frequently provided by pharmacists as part of the interprofessional team improve clinical outcomes. They generate a positive ROI. They're accepted by patients and need to be expanded to all patients who can benefit from the service. I'd love to ask you to, to share and explain further how the role of the pharmacist is evolving when it comes to a evolving care delivery landscape in CMM. And, and why is interprofessional collaboration between physicians, pharmacists, and other clinical personnel so important in getting medications right for each and every patient? And, and if you could share a little bit about what kind of ROI can organizations expect when adding a pharmacist to a care team once clinical goals are met? Sure, that's a, a great question. And you may have to remind me of some of those when I jump into this. But, you know, the profession of pharmacy has changed so much. I, I will date myself and say that I finished uh, pharmacy school in the year 2000. And then my residency shortly thereafter from 2000 to 2001. So in 23 years, a lot of things have changed with the profession of pharmacy. Number one, when you thought, of, and I'll say this, Daniel, to this day, I've been you know, in pharmacy school since 1996. To this day, if I ask my mom or my dad uh, or my twin brother what I do for a living, they're still not completely uh, sure. Uh, and I think a lot of that goes with when you hear the word pharmacist, you know, um, a lot of people start thinking about a pharmacist that works at a retail store or a pharmacist that might work at an inpatient hospital. So there's been a lot of ambiguity in the profession. And so in some aspects, with the advancement of comprehensive medication management, pharmacies had an alphabet soup. Uh, and so traditionally, we have been tied with a drug product you know, the more dispensary uh, component of pharmacy. And over the past really 23 years, I think there's been a coalescence, especially in the past three to five years on the term comprehensive medication management and how that interplay happens. Uh, you know, we've heard medication therapy um, management, we've heard of, you know, medication optimization, which are all components. CMM is a component of medication optimization. So with that being said, I heard a great uh, talk uh, earlier in the week by a physician named Dr. Michael Esbar, who was talking about team-based care and comprehensive medication management. And the analogy that I'll, I'll give you um, is from the standpoint of interprofessional care is, I think sometimes we may have missed the boat. We have advocated for our individual profession so much and uh, appropriately so. You know, we want every person, every healthcare team member to be working at the top of their ability, at the top of their license. But one of the things that dawned on me this weekend, I'm a huge Tennessee football fan. So hopefully you all got to see the Tennessee Alabama game this weekend. it reminded me of something when we talk about team-based care. Um, you know, the New England Patriots, the Alabama Crimson Tide, who've won multiple championships. That Those teams were built not about one individual or one team member, but on the concept that when we're 
when we're aligned together as a team, we provide and attain a better goal. You know, without a great quarterback um, or without an offensive line, that quarterback can't be successful. Without a great defense, the offense can't be successful. And the integration of pharmacist into team-based care is no different. Uh, at the end of the day, the, with a football team, the goal is to win a game. At the end of the day, for an interprofessional team, the goal is to provide great care to a patient and in, in my aspect every day again to a veteran. So our goal is for that patient or the veteran to receive the most, the ultimate benefits from their medications. And when we integrate a pharmacist into the team to provide comprehensive medication management based on the pharmacist training, that's, that's who we are. That's what we were trained to do is to optimize medications it provides the utmost benefit to ensure that that patient receives to win, to win the game, to, to score that touchdown. Um, and it's not to take away from any one profession. It's not to uh, steal the, uh, the aspects from what Dr. Barr can do or Michael can do or what a nurse can do or what a social worker can do. Um, everyone has a defined role on the team. And so integration of the pharmacist into comprehensive medication management is taking the best person for that activity and putting them in the opportunity to provide the best patient care. Now, in regards to your question on ROI, um, you know, there've been multiple studies in regards to the integration of pharmacists into team-based care. And one of them was done in a healthcare system, the Fairview Healthcare System in Minnesota. And what they showed by integration of a clinical pharmacist uh, into comprehensive medication management for their patients, they returned a 12 to one uh, ROI. And specifically when they looked at some of those things, they looked at it over a 10 year period, they looked at the specific cost and the total cost, um, cost savings to patients was around 2.9, almost $3 million. And the total cost to, to provide CMM was around 2.2 million. So there was an estimated uh, for every dollar spent, um, a gain of around $1.29. So I could quote multiple studies that have shown that, um, but overall integration of a clinical pharmacist providing comprehensive medication management not only improves the quality of care, but does have the opportunity to provide a positive ROI. And this is Michael, Sean. It's fun. I had a chuckle when you you dated yourself to 2020. I have a few years on you, so. But I, I want to relate to my time in the Air Force, and which was 89 to 93, and coming out of residency training, I didn't really know what team-based care was till I was in the Air Force. Uh, and um, one of the key team members was the pharmacist, who helped me immensely uh, with managing sort of veterans and families and dependents and active duty personnel. So I learned then the importance of a pharmacist. Fast forward, uh, when I was on faculty at Vanderbilt, that would have been after the Air Force, so 93 to 90, late 98. Sean, um, you probably will laugh that one of the, the novel programs that I, I started was managing Coumadin, a blood thinner, with a warfarin with, with the clinical pharmacist. That was sort of like really on the cutting edge back then, We're working on algorithms uh, with the clinical pharmacist to manage ambulatory care patients in primary care internal medicine. So uh, fast forward, we, we know so much in this, we're gonna get into it later, I hope about sort of the information sharing, but I think that team-based care with the clinical pharmacist where there's an assigned responsibility as you've described really demonstrates 
not just an ROI on money, which I know is important, especially in value-based payment, but think about all the people uh, and the healthcare that can be improved and the health and the avoidance of emergency departments and hospitalization uh, encounters because we've done the right thing for the right people. Yeah, and I'd like to add to that. And Sean, you would have, you had to bring up the Alabama-Tennessee game. I will tell you being on the opposite side <laughs> of the stadium. Um, that's an interesting analogy that you made. And I think it's an important analogy because when we talk about team-based care and interprofessional team-based care, as you know, in that situation that you referenced, the quarterback was injured. And, and you know, we have a broken medication use process today. But with any team, you need to define the roles and responsibilities of those team members. You need to prioritize those activities, and you need to appropriately execute that team. And I, I think with interprofessional team-based care, as we move forward, uh, it's going to become more and more important that we define those roles and responsibilities in order to ensure that as we move forward with person-centered care, we are able to participate in activities like comprehensive medication management. And just as an example, there was a CMS Innovation Center funded project at the University of Southern California School of Pharmacy. And it found that the collaboration between clinical pharmacists and clinicians can generate remarkable results. And I think Michael and, and Sean have alluded to those. 87% of the enrolled patients in that um, University of Southern California School of Pharmacy initiative achieved blood pressure targets within 45 days. But what's really important is if you step back and look at what they found, they found that identified over 67,000 medication-related problems among the 5,700 patients that they were evaluating. And among the problems, the medication therapy management problems that they identified, only 21% of those problems were related to non-adherence. The others were related to things like safety, the patient's ability to self-manage the medications, 33% were related to whether the medication was appropriate or effective. And I think it's important to note that with over 20,000 medications available on the market today, and with increasingly more sophisticated medications that are out there, adding a clinical pharmacist to the interprofessional team as the medication specialist makes sense. It makes clinical sense, it makes economic sense, and it is a more humane way to manage individuals' medication needs. Katie, you make a great point. You know, it just makes so much sense. You know, economically, clinically, pharmacists have a role to play here in interprofessional care delivery. But many of our listeners are out there thinking, you know, how do we actually go about that integration? How do we successfully implement a CMM program? I mean, payment approaches for medication therapy management services, we have seen those expand substantially in recent years as the value of CMM is becoming more recognized. But if a healthcare organization is advancing to value-based payment and looking to implement CMM, they have so many things to consider from operationalizing a 
personalized, patient-centered, coordinated approach to medication use and patient engagement. They have to focus on diagnostic accuracy. They have to have access to pharmacogenetics testing to target correct therapies. And above all, they have to recruit these skilled clinical pharmacists as medication experts who, you know, to your point, can work in collaborative uh, practice. So I wanted to ask you all if you could provide guidance to those listeners out there that are looking to implement CMM. In addition to the implementation steps needed, also, what are the cultural implications when a clinical pharmacist delivers medication management for complex patients? For this change to be successful, how should organizations prepare the workforce for this type of care transformation? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's part of the, the difficulty with the implementation of CMM. And the word that I would give you is fidelity. You know, our goal when we're talking about uh, comprehensive medication management and the, the care provided from a pharmacist is that if, if a pharmacist is providing care to Michael, let's say in Washington, D.C., for comprehensive medication management, or, you know, Eric or Daniel, if they're moving and providing the same level of care in Austin, Texas, we want that to look the same. And so I will say, as for the profession of pharmacy over the past, you know, various years, that's where the crux then is being able to describe what that looks like. And so first I would tell your listeners to please go to the GTMRX website, gtmr.org. There are a lot of resources that are there can, that can specifically help answer this question. And we could talk about this for hours. But first and foremost is to understand that there are three components of CMM. One is a philosophy of practice. Number two is a specific patient care um, process. And number three is the practice management components of CMM. I'll start with the philosophy of practice, and that gets to your last question. And that's just for an organization to become and to believe that this is important. This is, we're going to optimize uh, patients' medications. And I can tell you in the VA, based on our, um, our, you know, how we've implemented CMM, we believe that every veteran should have the opportunity to have their medications individually assessed individually evaluated and that they should achieve the optimum benefits and integration of a clinical pharmacist as part of that is crucial. So for an organization to one buy in that we're going to believe in team-based care and we're going to believe into the opportunity of the concepts surrounding CMM. The second component, again, I want to mention this, this resounding word, our, our group from the University of North Carolina with Dr. Mary McClurg and then Todd Sorensen and Debbie Pesca from the University of Minnesota have focused on the fidelity of comprehensive medication management. So making sure that we're comparing apples to apples. And one of those things is the practice management components of comprehensive medication management. And to me, I look at those as being able to say those are the foundational core concepts, the things that need to be in place for uh, an individual pharmacist or clinical pharmacist to practice the patient care process of comprehensive medication management. And that goes into, there are specifically five different things related to the practice management. And, and those are things we, we won't be able to, to get specifically into those, but that's organizational support. That's the care team engagement processes. So the presence of a collaborative practice agreement being able to evaluate the comprehensive medication management program. We wanna make sure that we're having things in place for program management, to being able to report those uh, results. The care delivery, uh, delivery processes for CMM, which are again, not the sexy components of providing patient care, but 
we have to be able to identify those patients. There needs to be methods in place. There have to be processes for scheduling. There have to be processes for systems for care for documentation. The good news is for your listeners that are sitting there going, how am I supposed to remember all this? There is a tool called the Practice Management Assessment Tool that allows individual organizations to be able to assess either a new um, burgeoning CMM practice to be able to assess their readiness for CMM, or if there's someone that's already implemented CMM to assess their fidelity to the model of comprehensive medication management. That's available on the uh, gtmr.org website that was produced by, again, the group from the University of North Carolina School of Pharmacy, the Eshelman School of Pharmacy. The last component that I'll talk about is the patient care process, and this gets into preparing, you know, the clinical pharmacists that are providing CMM. And again, going back, that this is when there's been a lot of ambiguity in the profession of pharmacy because we've complicated things. We've used different processes. Well, CMM, there is a defined patient care process, and there are five different components of that patient care process. And I would urge um, the pharmacists that are preparing or that are getting ready to uh, provide CMM to look at the patient care process. I was astounded when I looked at that, um, saying I I do all those things. When I was seeing see a patient or when I see a patient, I I do all these things. But it's so nice to be able to have those um, resources available for me to make sure that I'm providing the fidelity for comprehensive medication management which is what will provide the quality of care for the patient. Yeah, and I'd, I'd just like to follow along on that, Sean. That was an excellent overview of what is what is important and what is necessary in implementation. And certainly the VA has been such a leader in that area. And I think it's worth repeating, um, number one, the common definition of CMM. Secondly, the importance of fidelity of practice. Third, as Sean said, the philosophy of practice, and, and the reason that it's important to emphasize that is that's really a set of professional values and um, beliefs that, that serve as a guide um, to an individual practitioner's actions and behaviors for the, if it's in a primary care setting, for the primary care setting, if it's in a, at another level of care for, for the individuals that are part of that interprofessional team. Um, and then the patient care process and then the practice management system. Sean mentioned that those tools are available on the Get the Medications Right Institute website. And I want to mention Eric and Dan, that they are available free. Um, you know, the, the, the Institute launched in April of 2019. And, and the purpose of, the, of, of launching the Institute was to advance access to these services and basically educate others in the industry about work that is already underway, that's being done in the VA, that's being done in the private sector, in advancing access to comprehensive medication management services. So, But it is important, and I want to emphasize it's important that we have a common definition of CMM because it is often confused with medication therapy management. MTM and CMM are often confused. And I think John in the onset said it is basically CMM is a medication therapy management service. Yeah, and this is Michael, just to weigh in a little bit, because I have very little to add, but I want to focus on one thing that makes this all work that we need to understand, that the clinical care for people operates on trust, and people 
in trusting their clinicians, whether they're physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistant, midwife, whomever, and then the clinician having trust in his or her team and the team of uh, professionals that are working with them. And I think the, the great benefit of having the definition of CMM and having clinical pharmacists is that there's uh, it, it builds the trust that's needed for a clinician to entrust his or her patient to another member of the team to round out the care, to make the care better, to, to leverage the skill sets and knowledge of that additional person on the team. And, and one of the challenges is to make clinicians aware of the great benefit of CMM when it's available and to make it more available. And, and that, that, uh, that needs to be based upon trust, which I think a lot of the, the use cases, the, the experience of clinicians like Sean and others working with physicians and other clinicians to, to make this work, and the patient experience really is what we need to emphasize to make CMM broadly available and paid for. Yeah, thank you, Michael. And I will add to that as well, because that's a very good point about trust in terms of uh, instilling trust in the care that's delivered. But it also allows um, for measurement and accountability. And, and Eric, uh, we've talked a lot about the importance of accountability, and we certainly know that CMS and CMMI are very interested in ensuring that uh, their population or the CMS, the population that is uh, Medicare recipients are in accountable relationships by 2030. So appropriate implementation, a common definition, the fidelity of practice help us with measurement and they certainly help us with accountability as well. Dr. Barr, I want to jump in and, and uh, build on what you said. And Katie, something that you mentioned earlier as well is you know, when you think about overuse, misuse, or underuse of medication therapy, we see this leading to treatment failure and new medical problems or both. And annually, over $528 billion are wasted and 275,000 lives are lost due to non-optimized medication use. With over 80% of Americans taking at least one medication per week and an increased percentage of hospital readmissions associated with a medication-related problem, a strategy must be integrated that can ensure patients get the medications right. And the strategy should be informed by best practices from leading exemplars in industry. And you've mentioned some use cases, and I'm hoping you could further expound on what CMM and clinical pharmacy look like as a best practice. What are the reported effects of CMM and pharmacy integration on CAP scores, on quality measure performance and clinical outcomes? And as I mentioned, can you provide other examples of use cases for our listeners, in addition to the ones you've referenced earlier, please? One of the things I think I will uh, relate to our experience within the Department of Veterans Affairs on how we've implemented CMM, what it looks like, um, and then what that quality looks like. Specifically, I'd like to focus on the patient experience and, and the provider experience. So when we talk about comprehensive medication management as part of team-based care, the example that I'll give you, and I'll, I'll pull Dr. Barr into this. Dr. Barr sees a patient today as a new patient establishing in primary care, which I know is one of his loves. And so he sees that patient uh, in, a, in a times, let's say, a 30-minute appointment and develops that relationship, develops the trust with the patient, explains, you know, what our long-term goals ask. You know, again, what's, what's important to you? Uh, where do we want to go with your, with your care? And so he develops all that. And then he does that and then decides, goodness, you know, 25 minutes of my appointment has uh, elapsed. And now I need to address his congestive heart failure, his diabetes, his hypertension. So 
Dr. Barrick explains that, uh, you know, to Mr. Smith, that I have a patient, I have a, I have a team of, of providers that are going to help take care of you to ensure that you're getting the best quality of care. And one of those team members is a clinical pharmacist. And so I'm going to schedule an appointment with you to see um, Dr. McFarland, and he's going to evaluate your medication. So that's the first process is we've identified the patient for comprehensive medication management. We've explained what the value is that he's going to, he or she's going to receive. And then we referred. So that patient then comes to me to, to for, for care. And what I'll tell you is that, you know, when we look at that in the VA, if a primary care provider sees that patient and then they involve me as part of the care, what that does is that opens up an opportunity um, for Dr. Barr or the primary care provider to see other patients that maybe are not appropriate for me to see. You know, as part of that use case that Dr. Barr uh, use cases that Dr. Bark talked about in the VA, we were, we were able to show that 27% of patients that were on a primary care provider's um, panel or schedule uh, could be seen or offloaded to a, a clinical pharmacist to provide comprehensive medication management. When we think about that in the terms of access, that creates an additional three weeks of appointment slots that normally would not be there for the VA provider. So we truly advocate in not only when we were referring to that to me for that comprehensive medication management. Not only are you increasing the quality, but you're also focusing on providing increased access for care as part of that team-based model. So again, let's kind of step back into the patient care process as that patient then follows up for me and I'm evaluating, again, asking this patient maybe referred for diabetes, but I ask, hey, what's important for you today? And I go through the patient care process of CMM and he says, you know, I know my blood sugars are out of control, but I have this nagging, you know, pain in my feet that prevents me from walking daily. It's I'm not able to play with my grandkids. You know, the most important thing for me to do right now is to, I just want to take care of this pain. So even though the patient was referred to me for diabetes, which is going to be a huge component of what I'm going to assess, the most important part for him right now is his neuropathic pain he's experiencing. So I've evaluated all of his medications. I've, um, I've helped to look and see what the process is of what's important to him now. Now, I'll step out again and say there's huge con confusion with pharmacists that comprehensive medication management occurs in a 30-minute appointment. What I would tell you in the VA that what we've said is comprehensive medication management occurs as part of our philosophy of practice, but it occurs over the journey of healthcare of the veteran, and it can involve multiple pharmacists. It can involve specialty pharmacists. It can involve the primary care pharmacists. And comprehensive medication management is not, 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 it's so important, I said it three times, provided in one appointment. It's provided over the journey of the, the, um, of the, the veteran or the patient. So I'm seeing that patient. I'm, I might bring him back up for follow-up in two weeks or one week, but I'm focusing on what he needs or she needs in regards to his medication. Now, what is that shown? So we've I've completed the whole comprehensive medication management patient care process. I've determined what needs to happen with uh, the veteran. I've made those changes under my collaborative practice agreement. In the VA, we have scopes of practice. I've independently prescribed, uh, adjusted, modified medications. As part of team-based care, I would you know, it, uh, discuss you know, what, what has happened with that as part of Dr. Barr might read my note and see what's happening. But the whole time, Dr. Barr is able to provide other care. Again, I can't reiterate that while I'm providing care and providing great care to a patient that he's referred me. So I see that patient back. 
Uh, I see that he's seeing Dr. Barr back in maybe three or four months. So I'm seeing him on the, uh, in the interim. By the time the patient follows up with me and gets ready to follow up back with Dr. Barr in four months, most of his medications have been assessed. He's, uh, his A1C is improved, his neuropathic pain is better, and it sets Dr. Barr up to focus on things that maybe were not as appropriate for me. Now, when we talk about that and we look at the quality of care that CMM provides surrounding the quadruple lane, you know, the quality of care in regards to health outcomes, you know, that data is there. I mean, if there are people designing studies to show that pharmacists improve quality outcomes, uh, please don't. That's been done, done. So that data is there. You can look at the evidence-based resource documents that we have as part of GTMRX. We were able to publish a systematic review uh, in the American Journal of Medicine that showed the implementation or the, the benefits of CMM on the quadruple aim. But what I will focus on, and I want to just very briefly tell you, is provider experience. When we think about that through the pandemic, the key word that everyone hears is burnout. And by integration of a clinical pharmacist providing CMM, it decreases provider burnout. It increases joy of practice. Uh, and there are two death studies that have shown that. In regards to patient satisfaction, we just published a study uh, about a few months ago out of the VA, and we were evaluating veteran satisfaction with seeing a pharmacist. And there were a total of 743 veteran surveys completed over the study period. It was a response rate of about 20%, which when you look at market standards, that's, a, that's actually above the response rates. And for the individual dom domains of patient experience, um, and this was based on a Likert scale of, of four to five, we looked at a couple of different things. Um, one, ease and simplicity were rated at 94.4%. The quality experience perceived by the veteran that was completing these survey, electronic surveys was around 92%. Employee helpfulness was rated at 95%. Satisfaction with service was at 95%. And confidence of trust was at 92%. All of these were uh, either equal to or above the other evaluations for, uh, for providers performing similar services uh, in the VA. So with that being said, I hope it outlines kind of what that process looks like. Uh, Dr. Moore, I'd be, I'd be uh, interested. Do, do you have any comments on what that looks like and what, what you thought about that example? Well, I'm, I'm not sure about that specific example. You, you gave so many details. I was like learning quite a bit, Sean, from your description here. So that was great. Um, I wanted to comment on a couple of things and maybe expand on, on one. Uh, you referenced the um, experience scores uh, in the VA, but uh, in Medicare Advantage, the increased weighting on patient experience is going to create a problem for many MA plans. So the idea uh, that clinical pharmacists practicing CMM could help on CAP scores, that should be resonating with everybody who's looking to uh, avoid a drop in their overall MA stars. So that's one point. The other is extending, expanding on your comments about the quality measures. Uh, you know, we may get into this a little bit later, but I may as well say it here. There are so many measures within Medicare Advantage that are based upon appropriate optimal use of medications as assessed by the HEDIS measures. Um, and you can go through a whole, this is part of my talk that, that uh, Sean referenced at the American College of Clinical Pharmacy meeting on, on Saturday morning. There are so many measures uh, that are 
um, directly related to improving medication, uh, improving optimization of medication, that MA plans and those taking value-based payment risk in commercial and other sectors should really pay attention to because use of clinical pharmacists will really optimize their, their scores, not only to care for people, but improve their value-based payments. And Michael, I, I just want to add a couple of things to what to what you and Sean said. And Sean, you you I agree with Michael. You did an excellent job of outlining um, a use case um, when a patient would be involved in, in the uh, comprehensive medication management process. But we have a host of use cases on the GTMRX website. I would encourage your listeners to visit that website, um, and they are we add to those use cases frequently. But there's just two examples because I think it's important, uh, particularly since we're talking about in, a, in this race to value, some economic results here. Fairview Health um, in Minnesota, there's a use case with Fairview Health on our website that really outlines a 12 to 1 return on investment in terms of reduced overall healthcare cost. Now that's a, um, a, a 5,000 system providers, 34,000 employees offering services to about 360,000 health plan members in 12 hospitals. That, that, that describes Fairview for you. And they found an overall cost reduction after one year of CMM of 31.5%. Asthma patients achieved the Minnesota community measures for optimal asthma care. 59.7%, and that compares to a 16% average in the state. They found a 20% um, rate of fewer admissions than expected for the CMM group. And 95% of the patients agreed that their health improved because of comprehensive medication management services. 95% of providers were confident in the CMM clinician recommendations. So we, we recognize at the Institute that the clinical pharmacist is an extremely valuable part of the team. But we also recognize and promote access to this level of service where a medication specialist is working in collaborative practice with that physician. Got one more use case I think it's important to point out. And in this situation with health partners in Minnesota, the return on investment pre and post CMM intervention was 3.5 to 1, with an average $1,268 savings per year per member. And through that program, um, they were able to increase uh, in diabetes control for 300 patients, leading to about 200 fewer ED visits and 100 fewer hospitalizations. So their cost avoidance for that diabetes, just the diabetes population. And as Sean said, with comprehensive medication management, I think he outlined this in his use case, they may present with one problem, but the purpose of that comprehensive kind of evaluation and the iterative approach to it is you're, you're really treating the whole patient. So the cost avoidance in the health partner's use case just in the area of diabetes is $967,000. 98% of the participants would recommend their CMM clinician, and 96% of the participants were more confident in managing their medications. So I think we have multiple examples of ways in which this level of service creates a better way to manage medications. 
Well, these these examples are truly outstanding, and they're 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 demonstrating that innovation can improve outcomes. And when I think about innovation, I always think about it occurring at a at a nexus between you know empowered human beings coupled with technology enablement. So I wanted to ask you to you know speak more about the the health IT and analytics infrastructure that's necessary to to support successful CMM. I mean, we have groups out there, they're using clinical and claims data together. I know that's essential to CM, CMM interventions to improve outcomes. You have to be able to identify the patients that are going to be the greatest opportunity to benefit. You have to have point of care data insights for making sound treatment decisions. When you use a collaborative practice agreement, the clinical pharmacist needs to be able to make the medication changes in real time. So they have to have access to all the most recent lab data and clinical information. And unfortunately, it seems like in the current like healthcare environment, we have all these like silos of data and it's, it's just too commonplace sometimes uh, to obliterate it and create more of that interoperability. And so I wanted to ask you, about that. And, you know, and, and also I saw that GTMRX released a white paper that identified the top health IT capabilities for CMM. And those were pillars like clinical decision support, pop health and risk stratification, patient engagement, care coordination, and purpose-built IT to really support the economic, clinical, and humanistic outcomes. So can you speak to the HIT and AI infrastructural components needed to access clinical data to support comprehensive medication management, and also what other IT tools are available for the physicians uh, in the interprofessional teams to engage patients? Hey, Eric, it's Michael. I'll start. It's a big question. Let's just say with just like any other aspect of clinical medicine, CMM is you know, at the mercy of better data and better information being shared across so that all those engaging with the person getting care have the same information that's accessible, easy to understand, in usable format, and actionable. So that is sort of the foundation of all care and the challenges that we face in clinical care now, regardless of whether you're talking about CMM or any other aspect of delivering care, I think CMM is a good use case to highlight why we need that kind of better infrastructure and sharing of information, but it also applies to other areas, of course. So usable information, clinical information is, is what we need for CMM. Yes, claims are important, but they're going to be retrospective look back, right? Unless a system may be an accountable care organization, which, which has better access than, let's say, uh, a set of practices or an independent practice association, not necessarily an ACO with all the infrastructure. But, you know, the clinical information should be the dominant source of information to drive uh, the clinical interventions like CMM. And that information needs to be shared uh, with the re rest of the team members, including the clinical pharmacist. As a prerequisite, you know, if you're in the same system, if you're in sort of the same system using the same EHR, that's one issue. The challenge becomes if you're in different systems or if there's an outsourced effort to get clinical pharmacists to work with patients, then you have to figure out how to share that information appropriately, make it usable to the clinical pharmacists, pharmacists and have that action, the actions taken be reflected in the clinical record. That's another layer of complication, just the same as if you're referring to a specialist outside your system and want that information coming back, let's say a cardiologist or so on. So there are all those mechanistic logistic issues that need to take place. The good news is then most of the systems now in place are based upon existing standards. The bad news is not all those standards are implemented the same way, or even if they are, 
within the systems as they're implemented, there's been customization. So this is not just related to CMM, of course, but in general. So assuming you can fix all that, there really are no technical barriers for this kind of sharing of information. It's more cultural and whether it's going to be paid and whether the systems are in place to ensure that people look at it and that it's presented in an actual a actionable manner. Katie and I were just in a phone call earlier today with, with a, a commercial entity uh, that is looking to leverage the information and systems and present decision support about a particular condition back to the clinical team and the clinical pharmacist. Clinical decision support based upon that information that's actionable is really critical for a variety of clinical conditions, obviously medication management being one of them. Augmented intelligence or AI, algorithmic things, those are important, but honestly, I think that presenting the information in a usable manner to a clinical pharmacist, I know, AI would be nice to have, but I don't think that's a necessary requirement right now. It, it will be improved over time because things are so complex, especially with people with multiple conditions, multiple comorbidities, multiple medications. You know, to supplement the human intelligence, this augmented intelligence will be helpful, but I think I'd be really satisfied just getting the information to Sean in a usable format so he can help me manage my complicated patients. Yeah, and I'll add to that, Michael, that was an excellent response. And I, I was thinking back on the discussion that we, we um, just had earlier today, as you mentioned. I, I think Eric and Daniel, it's, it's really important to note, and we published this in our Blueprint for Change, which was published in July of 2020, that optimal medication use does require better data. And we have to liberate the data to overcome barriers to information access through technology at the point of care. And for data to be actionable, providers and patients must have secure and timely access to the information in order to identify patients who have not achieved clinical goals of therapy, because that's one of the first steps in the CMM process. That's evaluating the population in order to identify who has not achieved clinical goals of therapy. Secondly, to identify all drug therapy problems, not just one therapeutic area, not just not just with hypertension or diabetes, but identify all drug therapy problems. And I mentioned before, with when I mentioned the University of California example, um, what they found was that the medication-related problems um, that were identified, 67,000 problems that were identified, only 21% were medication non-adherence. And unfortunately, you know, we have historically measured medication non-adherence from a technology standpoint based on fill rates uh, within, you know, prescription fill rates. But the third area um, in terms of ways in which data must be actionable is in collaboratively developing a care plan and within that care plan, the medication plan. And all of these things are done in collaboration with the patient. John, I'd love to hear if you have an example of how health information technology is used within the VA as it relates to supporting your very sophisticated PAC programs and the um, CPCs within those, within those areas. Sure, and I'm chuckling too when Dr. Barr said that or Michael said that because, you know, some people will accuse us in the VA of having ADD, which is another darn dashboard, you know, so we have the ability to, um, you know, take all of that data and put them at the ability to identify patients. And the example that I will give you is, 
you know, it's population health management. It's the identification of patients. The example that I gave you all earlier or y'all earlier is that you can't always refer on Michael and his busy practice to identify a patient and to refer it. So there have to be processes or or automated identification processes for us to identify the patients who need comprehensive medication management the most. One of the programs in the VA that I'll highlight is called COPD Care. And we've been able to, as part of a team-based management involving an RN, involving the clinical pharmacist and the primary care provider, uh, use automated dashboards that help us identify patients post-discharge for uh, a COPD event, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, admission, and that happens whether it's outside the VA or inside the VA, we're able to identify them, bring them into care within seven days post that discharge, and then start optimizing their medications. As part of this, one of the, um, the benefits, and this again goes back to the quality of care of CMM, is using those automated dashboards to identify the patient who needs comprehensive medication management. As compared to control group, uh, the readmissions for those patients for COPD care uh, are 0% compared to 19% in the control group. So a lot of this, I think sometimes we, we get so focused on AI, we get so focused on the complexities of um, automation that a lot of times it's identifying those patients and making sure that we can integrate them into current care processes that exist. And I'll go, you know, you hopefully heard this analogy is making sure that the patient is getting uh, the, the right care at the right time by the right provider and leveraging those dashboards allows the individual clinicians and the team to be able to do that. I want to jump in here and just say this is such an amazing conversation and such an important conversation that we're talking about things that will change patients' lives for the good across the country and just individually, you know, it's it's incredible to me that we're not already doing this. And, you know, the, there was a recent article in the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy that published a special issue on health equity and clinical pharmacy. And it, in the editorial, there's an editorial in the issue that points out that pharmacotherapy is a major component of contemporary healthcare. And some estimates note that nearly 131 million Americans or 70% of adults are on at least one chronic medication and $370 billion are spent on prescription medications annually. And given the importance of pharmacotherapy in healthcare, equitable medication use is paramount to eliminating health disparities. But we see that high quality medication use is not available for all and achieving pharmacoequity would ensure that all individuals, regardless of race and ethnicity, socioeconomic status, availability of resources, et cetera, have access to the highest quality medications required to manage their health needs. Can you explain how pharmacotherapy helps reduce care variation and, and improves health equity for underserved and marginalized populations? And at a national level, is there any work being done to address inequities in access to high quality medication therapy through a nationwide pharmacoequity initiative? So when I think of health equity, you know, you think about access to care, as you mentioned, personalized, understanding barriers, opportunities to improve care, access to the remedy or the recommendation, and presented in a culturally and linguistically appropriate way to engage people in self-management and improving their outlook for future, for the future and for their health and healthcare. 
If you go through what CMM does, you can check a box in every single one of those sort of objectives. And I'm sure I missed a few, but I'm sure CMM takes that uh, under consideration too. So as you mentioned, the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy uh, in August, I believe, had a great issue dealing with uh, equity and other related issues. And there are a couple of examples cited in articles there, one from BD, Helping Build Healthy Communities, HPHC program. And the other was in Hawaii, in Kaiser Permanente. And I think there are some really good examples there. And I would encourage readers to, to go to those articles because they are trying to address very unique populations, challenges with access to medications around particular clinical conditions. As far as a national initiative, I would defer to Katie or Sean to see if they are aware of any. I would say, though, that the Inflation Reduction Act that was just signed has several components to it that should help with pharmacoequity, as was uh, detailed by the uh, originator of that term, Dr. Utb Essien, who, who commented on the Inflation Reduction Act in the context of pharmacoequity. Sean, Katie? You know, specifically for the Department of Veterans Affairs, we have a, an individual office called the Office of Health Equity that's uh, ran by a great clinician, Dr. Ernest Moy. And at our level, we have tried to integrate the components of health equity. And, and I think the great thing, you know, if there's any good thing that's come out of the pandemic, uh, those health equities or inequities have been there. The pandemic has just shown a light uh, on some of the opportunities that we have to improve pharmacoequity surrounding specific um, patient populations. And so the Office of Health Equity, going back to even the, the question that I answered earlier, has created a dashboard that allows us to be able to dig uh, down deep into those individual measures. And they're actually able to separate those at the individual uh, facility level and nationally based on ethnicity, on sex, and we're able to identify specific uh, equity issues relating to medications that otherwise not have seen, so much to the point that Dr. Moy's office has actually funded two projects, one out of the university or out of uh, Madison, Wisconsin, the VA, uh, William S. Middleton VA, and also at the Kansas City VA on the integration of clinical pharmacists providing CMM to overcome health equities. And both of these projects are specifically related to health equity surrounding medications. And so I can't wait to see what those, uh, hopefully you all have us back when, uh, when those are published and we can talk about the benefits of CMM on operationalizing some of those uh, health equity issues. Well, I wanted to now talk about payment reform and advocacy. I mean, we've talked about the implementation. We've talked about the conceptualization of con uh, comprehensive medication management and how it transforms outcomes and all the technology enablement. But you have to have the backbone of the payment model, which is really going to align the incentives to, to bring about the necessary change in industry and CMM services that are delivered through these interprofessional teams in collaboration with primary care physicians. It's key to contributing to CMS's vision for Medicare through these individualized and population-based approaches that improve quality and reduce unwarranted variation in cost. 
And, you know, I just look at the opportunity for improvement. I mean, we have 69% of clinician visits that involve these drug therapies, 275,000 people a year dying due to non-optimized medications. That's contributing to $528 billion in annual costs, which is 16% of the overall health spend. And the evidence, as you've outlined, is showing that CMM, when integrated into the care process, it, it achieves all of these great outcomes, which can invariably improve the, the unsustainable cost trajectory that we have in the healthcare system. And, you know, the patients are engaged, they win, they're happier, providers see improved performance, they're, you know, they're more satisfied. Uh, stakeholders should be aligned with this value proposition for CMM, but we're still we're seeing now though that there's an emphasis on medication therapy management or MTM, and that's been the standard bearer for medication optimization, even though it has some shortcomings. and And I'm not an expert in this space, but I wanted to ask you all: Can you explain the difference between MTM and CMM, and why is MTM medication therapy management more readily valued by industry in terms of reimbursement incentives and and then what works being done at a national level to advocate for enabling policy for CMM reimbursement I mean how do we overcome the policy and payment barriers for appropriate medication use that's a terrific question Eric and thank you for asking that question because certainly widespread deployment of CMM is going to require, establishing a shared and common definition. Um, Sean basically coined a, a blog on this, and Sean, I'm, I don't want to, to catch you off guard here, but um, about a year ago, Sean um, penned a, a blog about the difference between MTM and CMM, and I'll, I'll ask him to offer the, uh, the differences there, and then I'll go into the the 10 policy steps that we feel are necessary um, to, to, to bring about change. Tom, can you outline some of the, how you eloquently outlined the difference between MTM and CMM? Sure. It goes back to what I was saying earlier in the podcast about the alphabet soup that, you know, pharmacy has created. And so when, what I like to think of is medication optimization is the ultimate goal, and there are different tools within medication optimization that uh, can accomplish that. And that one of those is MTM, and one of those is comprehensive medication management. And EMT, uh, MTM, and that's, again, Michael, you know, it goes back to that 1996, you know, when uh, I was in pharmacy school, is, or 1992 to 96 is when we were talking about what that looked like. Um, and so MPM, medication therapy management, really took hold in the early 2000s and it was linked with specifics related to Medicare D. And so if you think about that, Medicare D is the, the drug benefit part of Medicare. So it tied medication therapy management to um, Medicare Part D. And that's where, uh, with what you were referring to as the industry hold or the, you know, the more readily available parts of MTM coupled with Medicare D. And so when we look at that, there are some, uh, some stark differences between MTM and CMM. And I would refer you all to try to go back and to read that blog and, and then also to look at the patient care process surrounding CMM, but there are differences. So MTM uh, tends to be episodic in uh, instances. A lot of MTM is referring to specific quote unquote recommendations to the provider, 
Whereas comprehensive medication management has that specific care process. And a lot of that at the very end of that patient care process that uh, has the clinical pharmacist making the change and then scheduling the specific follow-up for evaluation of that comprehensive medication management. So a lot of it, there are some similarities. However, a lot of the core differences with CMM is that it's not, CMM is not tied to Medicare Part D. Uh, and CMM, again, has that true patient care process that has the pharmacist taking a lot of the ownership for the medication-related uh, issues that the patient that the patient that they're seeing has. And then scheduling that follow-up as part of team-based care. Uh, CMM is integrated into team-based care. And a lot of times, MTM is performed individually by a pharmacist outside of that team-based care arena. Yeah, thanks, Sean. And I mean, bottom line, um, Eric and Dan, MTM is a medication-focused optimization strategy, and comprehensive medication management is a patient care service. And, and it, as Sean mentioned, there are some similarities, but Medicare, the, the Medicare Prescription Drug Improvement Modernization Act of 2003 really was an early attempt to promote medication optimization, but it fell short um, based on the fact that those are really discrete activities. And as we look at advancing this, uh, I think the Institute recognizes that there's real opportunity in value-based payment models. Um, but first, we've got to adopt a common definition of comprehensive medication management. We expect that all private and public medical benefit plans, which are commercial plans, Medicare, Medicaid, um, will compensate interprofessional care teams for delivering CMM services. And we've mentioned this over and over again, that the clinical pharmacist is an extremely important member of the interprofessional team. But our advocacy work is surrounding advancing access to CMM services. We also feel that we have to have you know, high quality, comprehensive and advanced primary care payment models that include payment to teams to deliver a comprehensive set of services. And as we look at advanced primary care or high quality primary care or comprehensive primary care, whatever we call it in its future iterations, um, that comprehensive set of services must include comprehensive medication management. The claims that we have outlined, better care, lower cost, decreasing hospitalizations, decreasing long-term care admissions, decreasing ER visits are similar to the claims that you see in advanced primary care in managing those with multiple chronic conditions. And that makes sense. Those individuals are very likely on multiple medications, seeing multiple physicians. And then Next area is recognition that, that value-based payment models really are optimal for the provision and sustainability of CMM. When you have um, groups that are at risk, they are going to recognize that they need to invest in patient care services to ensure that they keep individuals out of the hospital, out of the ER, out of long-term care facilities, um, decrease the the, the cost of care through ensuring appropriate and effective use of medications. Now, under the current Medicare fee-for-service models, 
we believe that it, um, if we allow physicians to bill for complex evaluation and management services provided by appropriately trained clinical pharmacists who work in collaborative practice on the care team with the physician, we can also advance that under fee-for-service. But we know that value-based payment models are going to be essential uh, for the broader expansion of access to these services. I think another area from a, from a payment policy standpoint, Eric and Dan, is that sufficient uh, workforce of qualified clinicians, trained, credentialed, and privileged to provide CMM services is, is necessary. Um, and it should be available to meet patient and population needs. And Sean touched on this when he was talking about activities around fidelity of practice, the philosophy of practice, um, but it's also important to make sure in the patient care process that we have an, a, an adequate number, a sufficient number of qualified clinicians. We believe that CMM's value should be measured on attributable patient outcome measures and that we must have clinical information at the point of care in order to hold um, those that are providing CMM services accountable for related quality metrics. And then finally, it's important to fully integrate companion and complementary diagnostics like pharmacogenomics testing into the CMM process to support useful clinical decision-making and increased availability of data. Katie, thank you for that. It really points us to where we need to be going. And so I, I would like to, first of all, just thank each of you for being with us today. We're really grateful for your time. We've had a fantastic conversation, and I'd like to wrap up our conversation by talking about that future state. You know, we've discussed incredible evidence supporting the effectiveness and the value the CMM brings to us, but is still underappreciated and underused. And while research methods have demonstrated the positive impact on both patient and clinician experience, the absence of a comprehensive person-centered measure to help define the benefits of CMM may be a barrier to its broader implementation. With a new vision for Medicare to advance health equity and move all beneficiaries to accountable care relationships by 2030, I'd like to ask each of you to just make brief comments on, on this question. Will this catalyze the necessary policy changes needed to create more scale and impact with patient-centered CMM programs? Thanks so much, Daniel. You know, you just recapped our conversation, and I think it's pretty clear that CMM could be and should be embedded in, in, clinic, in policy going forward. And whether it will be or not, we certainly hope so and are working very hard to that end uh, through engaging CMS, through responding to RFIs and others. And in the meantime, those entities who are under value-based payment models and those who are advancing the value-based pay payment models should take note of all the evidence that we've just shared and not wait for federal policy to adopt CMM, and they should be using it and scaling CMM services because it's going to improve care for people and under value-based payment models drive increased value through all the mechanisms we've spoken about today, through equity, through reduction of avoidable errors and medication complications and emergency department utilizations and avoidable hospitalizations, getting people the right medication so that their care is improved and they avoid downstream uh, complications from their condition. So we think it makes good business sense for anybody who is undertaking value-based payment models or under value-based payment models to really adopt and scale CMM. 
Yeah, and I'd add to that, Michael, that was a, a very good wrap up of, of what we have discussed today. You know, Dan and, and Eric, oftentimes health systems and health plan administrators tend to focus on drug cost. And I think there's been a lot of discussion around that. I think we all know that there are three areas in the, in the discussion, um, affordability, access, and appropriateness. Um, and, and the near-term medication cost increases as part of the overall return on investment, when you focus only on drug cost, I think are um, oftentimes take you down a, a, a direction that really focuses less on the patient care services and optimizing medication use than the discounts one might receive on, on the drug cost. Now, the opportunity to invest in patient care services like CMM that can create long-term sustainable savings and decrease total cost of care, I think are tremendous. Uh, I think we just need to recognize that because there's no, oftentimes, no reimbursement for CMM service, CMM today is considered a cost reducer instead of a revenue generator. So it means that organizations have to be prepared to implement it, or those organizations that are, that are risk-bearing entities, um, such as accountable care organizations, patient-centered medical homes, and um, academic medical centers. But there's definitely an opportunity as we move down the journey toward value to implement this in a way that, that brings back um, savings, decreases total cost of care, lowers healthcare cost, improves healthcare quality, resolves medication-related problems, improves um, physician satisfaction, improves patient satisfaction, and lowers mortality. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say is, you know, for your listeners that are just sitting back and thinking, how do I do this? You know, again, re reiterating that tools are available. You know, we're to the point to where in the old adage of the Nike commercial, just do it. You know, the tools are there. We can jump in and learn from practices that have implemented comprehensive medication management. And the time, as Dr. Baris just said, the time is to scale. You know, there are practices across the country, there are healthcare systems across the country that are have done this and are doing it, regardless of the current policy or the current uh, payment hindrances. There are healthcare systems that have bought in and are doing this. And I think long-term, when we take a step back and we look at the perceived um, provider sh uh, shortage that's coming in 2030 or the, the great resignation burnout, uh, we, we can't do things the way that we have continued to do them. We have to look at opportunities to implement team-based care not only for the benefits of patients and the outcomes that you've heard today, but for the opportunity for the health and satisfaction of our teams, to have everyone working at the top of their ability, to be able to create that atmosphere, that team atmosphere to where the patient in the long run wins. Well, I believe that comprehensive medication management and team-based care can get us to this quintuple aim, lower per capita cost, better patient experience, better quality, lower costs, in health equity in our country. Katie, Michael, Sean, thank you for joining us this week in the Race to Value to talk about this important innovation in our healthcare delivery system and how we could re really bring about success in this Race to Value. Thank you so much, Eric. You and Dan do such a fine job of continuing these conversations and they, it's such an important contribution to the industry. So thank you.